Hello, Athlete Mindset community. This is Lisa Bontasumi, the host of Athlete Mindset. Before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to support the mission and purpose of our show. For $10 a month, you can help to make sure these conversations get to as many athletes, teams, coaches, and sport mental health environments as possible. As a subscriber, you will receive exclusive content and updates on current topics in athlete mental health, and you'll be directly contributing to the betterment of mental health for all athletes. Join the cause. Subscribe at sportse.io slash athlete and make a difference today. Again, that's sportse.io slash athlete. With your support and amplification, we can ensure more voices are heard and more individuals and communities are positively impacted. Welcome everybody to the Athlete Mindset Podcast. Today I have an amazing, super special guest, Mr. Aaron Ulmer. He is a certified mental performance consultant and has become a friend over the last two years. And I'm just excited to have him with us. What's up, Aaron? What's going on, Lisa? Very excited to kind of be part of this podcast, seen it in the making for the past couple of years, but definitely just looking forward to, you know, getting to share my experiences, who I am, talk more, and then obviously keep developing the relationship that we have and whatever we can put out there to help move the field and move athletes forward in the right direction. Absolutely. I mean, of the many reasons to have you on, those were the highlights for sure. And I'm looking forward to having fun and chatting and going down this road together. But I want to introduce you first. So Aaron delivers training and coaching to boost personal empowerment and drive performance. He has earned a Master's of Art, Applied Sport and Performance Psychology from Holy Names University and is pursuing a Doctorate of Psychology with an emphasis in sports and performance from the University of Arizona Global Campus. He specializes in the development of the whole person to enhance wellness and human performance. Using his background as a collegiate athlete and coach, Aaron leverages his academic training and extensive knowledge of sports with his lived experience in his unique approach to enhance performance. In partnership with the Golden State Warriors Foundation, Aaron also designs workshop curricula for educators to his mindfulness practices to increase personal performance and classroom engagement. His client list includes NCAA and FIBA athletes and coaches, executives, and educators. What? Is that you right now? Maybe a little bit. bit. Sounds better when you put it read it all together at once. I know. I was like, this is Aaron. Let's go. (laughs) Because when we first met, well, you had your MA. I actually, I hadn't graduated yet. Okay. You were like, how far, how far, you were soon, though, months away? Six months, I think. A little less than six months. It was okay. that last semester. So I think it was probably February, March, and they ended up graduating in May of that year. Well, it's 2022. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that's so cool. I, I mean, as a fan, as a colleague, and now as a friend, I've appreciated witnessing your growth and seeing your journey. It's super awesome in so many ways. What brought you? I mean, you're a former collegiate basketball player. We know this. You're a former coach. What brought you to this work, the mental performance side, the mental side of sport? I think I have a very unique route. I mean, I'm pretty sure that most people who get into this field have a very unique route. I think it was one of those things that was 
hidden, but like constantly active in my life. I think starting back to high school, like a lot of these mental skills or mental concerns that we see from athletes was where I struggled. And my mom talks about it still that at one point during my high school career, she was looking into getting me a sports psychologist, getting someone to kind of work on the mental side of my game. Never really got around to it. Then I go to college. And then while I'm in college and I'm on the other side of the country dealing with the challenges, the everyday life of being a student athlete, I had my fair share of, you know, negative mental health experiences, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, which then in, in fact affected my performance. And whether it was performing anxiety, confidence was a huge one, which I dealt with. So during that time in college, I had a chance to speak with a counselor on campus. Didn't really help at the time. And not saying his work didn't help. I think there was the sport aspect was missing. He wasn't specifically uh-huh. at the training of being a sports psychologist. So I always had an interest like, dang, it would be really cool if there was someone who like specialized in this work uh-huh. for athletes. So I I really made it a point to kind of create a space for athletes within the Student Athlete Advisory Committee to be able to express some of the things we're going through. Were any of us as athletes going to be able to help each other, really? Not so much. But being in a safe space where we can share with people who are going through some of the same things, but you never know. This other athlete who may play soccer might be dealing with a similar situation, but has a skill or has a tool or tactic that they can give you. So that was really the space I wanted to create while I was there within my last couple of years being a college athlete. Then I graduated and it was gone. Like I didn't really touch back on that. I ended up moving back to California, working at the Pac-12, completely different career since I got my undergrad in public relations. And I was working till March of 2020 and then COVID hit. Once COVID hit, obviously, as an early career, most of us probably lost our jobs in that time. And then Holy Names University started a new program. And that was in the Applied Sport and Performance Psychology program. So I applied just as a backup. I didn't really want to go back to school. That wasn't my intention whatsoever. I was done with school. (laughs) Uh, And we didn't know how long COVID was going to last. Because at first, they were telling us like two weeks. Right, right, right. And we're still dealing with it. Yep. So I applied as a backup. And as the summer months came, I started kind of looking into what sport and performance psychology was. And I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. This kind of tailors into what I've done in the past a little bit, but then also it's blending an interest with passion, which was, I mean, obviously the key to all of it. Then I had an opportunity to coach on the basketball team at the university where I was getting my master's, which just played hand in hand. So that's fall of 2020, starting those classes at uh, Holy Names, I instantly fell in love with the field. It was like a love at first sight, the theories, the concepts, the application to it, the uh-huh. and how, how much it made sense to me was uh-huh. very, very important for me. And then within two years, so that was spring 2022 when i graduated well may i guess it's summer spring either or i I got straight to work i mean working with you working with cortex performance it was really hitting the ground running it's like okay let's take this education this experience the practicums that i've done 
and let, let's hit the ground running, right? Like, let's turn into a professional as fast as we can. And luckily, I had the opportunity and was connected to the right individuals where that could become a reality. So ever since then, I mean, it's everything that you've read in that bio has all happened since May of 2022. So we're oh. two years. And honestly, there's probably a nice handful more that wasn't even mentioned in the bio that I didn't, I didn't provide to you that has also been done in a lot of things in the work. But that's how I've gotten to here. That's how I got into the field. So it was like I said in the beginning, it was one of those things that was kind of hidden in plain sight. And then uh-huh. it was just a perfect timing and opportunity that presented itself that I was able to kind of step into and really make a, a reality for myself. No, it's amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. I mean, you and I know each other well enough to know that like none of that stuff happens on accident. Like, for example, you working with me at Mindset in various roles to begin with, and now as one of our lead certified mental performance consultants, CPMCs, that just didn't happen. You you came after it. I mean, like you contacted me. Yeah. That's always something that I, I mean, it took me a long time. I, I mean, I'm talking 20 years into my life to really be assertive and kind of make things happen for myself. I've never really been one to do that. But then, that's surprising to me, actually. Yeah. I've always been an outgoing person. I've always been, you know, someone who can do a lot of things. I wear multiple hats, but I've never been the one to advocate for myself. Until mm-hmm. I would say less than a year ago. So again, right place, right time. A good friend of mine and classmate at the time, he was like, "Hey, I want to introduce you to Lisa." And I'm like, "Cool, let's do it." So then I reached out to you, and then I saw that we had a mutual in Alex Glover, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of started it. And you started the brand ambassador. And sometimes I've learned that in order to get yourself in the door the right way, you have to do other things, right? So I was like, hey, might not have the clientele right now, but let me get in the door in the right way. Let's do something. Let's start this brand ambassador vision. I've had experience and partnerships and utilizing all my experiences before to kind of just open that door. And then things come through, these things pick up. We now get to this place where it's like, okay, now this is where we can be most efficient and successful, but obviously sometimes you gotta you gotta do the preseason conditioning and off-season lifting before you get into playing games. I love that. I love that. And if we fast forward it now, almost two years later, it is very different. You are seeing at mindset clients on the regular. You've made huge impact with individual athletes and their teams, coaches. So it's it's been amazing. And what you're talking about is relationships. Like you reached out to me because we had someone in common and yeah. that person we both respect. So thanks, Alex, for that. <laughs> Alex and JJ. Alex and JJ. Alex and JJ. Joshua Crum, Alex Glover. No, so it's it's really, really cool. And if you fast forward, Holy Names now becomes Dominican University and whom you are now an alum just because the program shift names and I'm on the advisory board there. So we continue to share colleagues continue to share a support of that university. When you mentioned also in your experience up and coming as a high school student athlete, human, dealing maybe with depression, anxiety, confidence, things like that, 
the work we both do in the different ways that we do it and the same ways, it all helps support the mental health of the person. What would be the difference between someone going to see a CMPC like yourself or a clinician or a licensed mental health clinician? What would be the difference and reason why one would choose the other? I mean, this is the the age-long question between the two, right? So I think, honestly, whoever you ask, there can be a very profound or distinctly different answer. For me personally, I think it really comes down to the applied nature of the sport. So in terms of clinicians, that's really dealing with you just like as a person, right? Your mental health. I mean, if you obviously want a good technical, what's coming out of the DSM-5, how to address that and how to tailor towards that mental health. Working with CMPCs is more on the side of, okay, how can I create these tools and skills that you can apply on a regular basis to help boost your performance? And I think this is also a stigma. People choose the clinician side once something's going wrong, right? Right, right. I'm depressed. I'm dealing with anxiety. I need to go see somebody to help overcome this. Yep. In our world in the CMPCs, it's, I want to get better. Like, I don't, I don't really feel, and there doesn't have to be something wrong with me. I want to get to the next level. If it's transitioning from high school to college, what mental skills can I keep to keep my confidence as a high school all-star into now being on a team full of 10 other high school all-stars? Right. So when I think of it in a nutshell, it comes down to that applied piece of it and being able to really put practicality into the work whether it's a strength and conditioning coach for your mind, right? Building these skills, building this toolbox of mental skills that you can apply in various different moments. Because one day your confidence might be really high, and then the next day it might not be. How can I pull these skills out to help boost that confidence? Those are some kind of the differentiating factors between the two that I see. And really, what I work on with a lot of athletes is really to develop that toolbox of mental skills that they can apply in various different situations and obviously to a point where it becomes autonomous and uh, it kind of just happens on their own to kind of help optimize that performance, reach peak performance, reach flow state as often as Mm -hmm. possible. So when I look at the two, yeah, those are kind of how I separate them. Yeah. And I think like you said, you ask anybody, you'll, you know, ask five people to get five different answers. You know that you know, I'm duly trained. And so there's like, okay, when does the clinician come in and when does the mental performance consultant come in? Well, they're already there all the time. I mean, I think there is another like misnomer that that being in therapy isn't applied. You know, it can very much be applied depending on where that athlete's at and what their goals are, right? We also, and I learned this verbiage from our mutual respected colleague, Dr. Kenza Gunter, you know, even with a diagnosis, like you referenced the DSM-5 of depression or anxiety, for example, we work to help folks perform at their best within a diagnosis, right? To be the most high functioning within a diagnosis. And I think what it comes down to for me and you is there are different legalities ethics and scope of practices that happen because it's two different professions with two different curriculum, training, testing processes, CEUs, all of that. But I love all of it. I love every single bit of it. So talk to me about what are, you've, you've spoken about skills and tools and tactics. 
what would be an example of something that an athlete comes to you to maybe work on or want to be better at? Like you said, in that scenario, an all-star in high school, but then comes to college and you're amongst like 10 other all-stars. How do you make that adjustment? Like, what does the initial engagement with an athlete look like? I mean, I have a client right now who was really good at his past school and then recently transferred to a bigger school. And a big piece of it is kind of identity. How can I be this Mm all-conference person averaging Mm -hmm. 18, 19, 20 points a game and come to a team now where I don't have to be the guy all the time, right? But Interesting then, you say that, though. You say, I don't have to be that guy. Yeah. Or how do I still be that guy? But for him, it's like, I don't have to be that guy. No. So Interesting. Interesting. Completely different levels. Interesting. In his old school, he was the guy. Like, mm-hmm. everything ran mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And then now, at very higher level, it's, I don't have to be that. Mm-hmm. So I understand and cope with a 7.7 rebound game being considered a good game when last year, that would have been my worst game of my life. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? uh-huh, uh-huh. So when we look at identity and we look at confidence and focus and not having to overthink, I think a lot of it gets kind of broken down within kind of their motivational profiles or their motivational makeup to see what really drives athletes. I think when we help athletes understand to an extent who they are and kind of put it in front of them, we can start to pick and choose at whatever their high needs of motivation are and create and kind of tailor our plan of mental skills in that direction. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of initially what it looks like. I think a big part initially is that assessment process and really getting a chance to understand athletes for who they are on and off of the floor, because there's obviously a relationship between those two. And then from there, we can take that moment to really understand all right, how do we create a individual and personalized mental performance plan for this individual? Mm-hmm. So how do we continue to keep your confidence, your, your focus, your goals, your motivation, whatever mental skill you want to throw in there, personally tailored to you to help your development and help you get the most out of what you're getting, whether that's pre-game mental skills or it's post-game mental skills and really tailoring the way you evaluate games or you prepare for them. I think there's so many different levels and different layers that are kind of within this process that I think sometimes get skipped from what I've seen out there. Uh, We look at the holistic picture, we can create all of these structures tailored for basketball or if I'm working with a basketball athlete, but then can apply them in all these other different areas of your life, whether it's school, social life, family life, if you play multiple sports, Mm -hmm. there's so much transferability between sports and life. But yeah, like those are some of the cases I see, especially working with a lot of professional athletes, Mm -hmm. going from being highly sought out players in college, really well-rounded, confident players in college to now playing against 10, 11-year vets or playing in an entirely different role. You go from being the guy who played the entire game to now playing 10 minutes. How do you become a lot more effective and efficient in your play, your body language, who you are as a person, not letting your identity be reflected by a role in your minutes and your stats? Mm -hmm. That's sometimes where identity gets caught up in. Right. I'm me because I'm this great basketball player. No. You are you because you are you. 
you're motivated, you're driven due to these certain factors. How can we keep these high when external factors change? Mm -hmm. So I think a big piece of what I'm doing right now within my work within a certain clientele group is based around that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it's fascinating. And I think I was thinking the same thing when you were talking about identity, because not only does identity shift, but so does your role on the team shift. And then how does that affect your own self-perception as a human? You know, making that adjustment to continue to internalize that, yes, you are you because of you, not because of how many rebounds or free throw shots or whatever you made. A lot of athletes still do that because they've never been told that they don't have to or that, whoa, wait, there's another part of me. Oh, I didn't get that. I didn't know that. Like, that's valuable too. Oh, okay. Because a lot of those other identities can't be measured in the same way as the stats of an athlete, right? So it's very interesting. When you talk about transferability, how does that, like, if, let's say you're working on the mental skill of motivation, staying motivated, getting motivated, knowing what motivates you and sustaining that motivation on the floor, on the court, on your field of play. How does those tools that you might train them with to develop those skills transfer into their lives as humans? I think a part of it is just the process and understanding, like mm-hmm. figuring out your why figuring out how to create motivation, whether it's utilizing goal setting or intention setting, whatever word you want to put on it, Uh and that motivation by securing those small wins. But I mean, I think the big go-to one in our field is really understanding your why. Why do you want to do this? And that's a question you could ask about anything. If I want to learn how to build a couch and become a couch builder, like why? Like, I'm not just going to do it because I need something to create that floor for me to fall back on when I struggle. And I hit that floor and I'm like, okay, why am I doing this again? And if it's worthy enough and driving me enough, I can kind of get back up on my feet and I can try again. Right. And I think once we teach athletes how to understand what their motivation is, how they can find those motivational factors, whether that's through our assessment process, how we kind of understand our athletes and, you know, explain it back to them. Uh Um, I think that can kind of help just speed the process up in it being able to transfer in other areas, right? Because, I mean, at this age, when you're looking at college kids or early professional athletes, like they, quite frankly, haven't done much outside of sport. Right, right. right. So then it's like, okay, you might need to go find a new hobby and realize that, you might not be good at it right away and you can't compare it to your level of expertise in your sport. So right. for example, I have, a, I have one athlete who was a soccer player for 12 years, mm-hmm. recently quit soccer, started to be switched over to golf. Okay. Loses motivation because his confidence isn't as high. Right. He's been golfing for two years. Because he's trying to compare his level of confidence and motivation to that of who he was as a soccer player. And it's like, dude, you have to realize you had 12 years right. of struggle, of success, of fun, sadness, motivation, confidence, all of it up and down for 12 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get that in two years. So if we create that baseline. And again, this kind of goes back to identity all over again. I think it all circles around this. Yep. We go back to figure out why he wants to be a golfer, what are the goals he wants to achieve, 
what's going to drive him on those days when he shoots 12 over par? How are you going to get back out there the very next day? And I think finding that baseline of why you're doing this is always going to be a key go-to in terms of me working with athletes and really kind of finding that motivation for them. And then I think just explaining to them that that transfers to anything in life. Yes. He's in high school and he has that example of trying something new. But how do you tell a 34-year-old athlete who's retiring after playing sports for so long, Mm -hmm. hey, it's time to go try something new, but you still got to stay motivated to do it. And you're not going to have the same motivation you had to put on a helmet, to put on shoulder pads, to go out there and play. Absolutely. Do you feel, I was just thinking about it too, when you were bringing like that transitioning from one sport to another, in this case, soccer to golf. I find with some of my athletes, how do you, if you're shifting from a sport like soccer, which is highly cardiovascular, you got to be you high stamina, you're moving. Golf is different, it's a different kind of stamina. But like finding like how to actually exercise your body or work your body or train your body is different. And that relationship with your body changes as part of the athletic identity as well. Don't you think? Like I've had those conversations a lot. Yeah, definitely. Luckily, this kid is still young. Yeah. I think his body's able to keep up pretty well. But when we talk about kind of, you know, that psychomotor development and that mind-body connection, yeah, it is different. And I think it's a big part of understanding that. And how I say, making sure like there's still a positive relationship between kind of that mind and body is key. But I have seen some athletes' challenges with that. Bigger challenges is also going from a team sport to an individual sport. Right, right. How do you go from relying your success on other people to now everything is on you? Yeah, and yeah. that one I've seen a lot of challenges as well. People tend to put a lot more pressure on themselves because they're not used to it. They're not yep. used to having to be able to rely and trust solely on what I bring to the table. In soccer or basketball, I can have a bad game. Now the day we can win. Right. In golf, I can't have a bad day. You can't. But if you do that, like your standing is completely dropped. You could be <laughs> a tournament, whatever it might be. But I think all of that plays into the entire picture of that. Uh-huh. How do I have that mental stamina to know every hole for 18, I have to be dialed in. I can't let fatigue overcome my body and then overcome my mind because that's going to directly reflect into my scoring into my swing, into my swing thoughts. So there is a different level of training and stamina and building up mental and physical endurance. I think when switching over from kind of a cardiovascular sport to kind of a more mentally daunting sport. And people don't think you got to be in condition to play golf because I did my second practicum replacement working with the men's and women's golf team. I had no idea. I was out there trying to follow these boys for 18 holes. By the end of the I couldn't feel my leg. And I'm not even thinking. <laughs> so I can imagine having to go do all of that exercise, standing, then get a club, line it up, and still perform on top of think it. Clearly. Like, yeah. Think clearly. And focus. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's a lot more conditioning than people think it really is. But obviously, it's different. There's no sprinting and stuff like that. But there's still, yeah, sure. like you said, there's definitely a different level of conditioning mentally and physically that are in play when you switch for sure. that. 
For sure, for sure. And that needs to be taken into consideration. I'm laughing at you because I was invited to do a golf uh, benefit. Gosh, was this seven months ago now? And I was like, yeah, I'll go. I like the people who are inviting me. That's cool. We'll, we'll have fun. I'm a pretty good mini golfer. So I know I was like, at least I can putt. But like that was, we were out there for five hours. I was sore for like four days afterwards. Like the swinging, the like putting your body into it. Like it's a lot. It's so fun. And I don't know, you don't know this, Aaron, but now me and my son golf. No other than Karika. Oh, look, I mean, what's our home course? I know. <laughs> and many a lunch you and I have had there at the restaurant. So he's eight now. We've been golfing together for about three months. There's a nine-hole course over there. Yeah. And so, so we'll warm up with a bucket and then go over and do the nine-hole course. And we'll rest in between. We'll take out our snack and sit under a tree between hole five and six. And we'll get through it. But I think for him, it's important to get through it no matter how long it takes to like be there, like move through the ups and downs. And like, I don't want to do this. He will say he's a barefoot putter because he will play with his Crocs on and he'll take them off when he's on, he's on the putt, when he's ready to putt though, on the green. Interesting. <laughs> he likes to feel it underneath his toes and stuff. But anyway, that's, that's him. But he's actually, you know, he, he enjoys it. He has fun. We have chats. We're outside. We ride our bikes to the course and ride back. It's like, hey, that's the best of all worlds. That's beautiful. That's a great <laughs> skill to learn early on is how to play golf. He's going to benefit from that later in life for sure. And when like you said, the transferable. Yeah, yeah. The, the transferable skills, patience, thinking, making a decision, which club Absolutely. to choose. Like, yeah, I'm happy and I have fun with him. So that's a good mommy, mommy son date. Going back to helping people identify their why, I have a question for you, especially for the pro athletes that we work with. When one of your pro athletes says, my why is to make money, Hmm. how do you be with that with them? I think even in like school, we're taught that, you know, there's internal and there's external motivations, right? Obviously, money is on the external side. And in the long run, Internal motivation theoretically drives us further. I personally, I use what they give. If that's what your motivation is right now, that's fine. We're going to drive towards that, but we're going to use that. But within that, like under the surface, we're going to still be digging at finding what that internal is. Uh We're still going to be trying to see, is there something more than just money that's driving me to play because sometimes hey in the professional sporting world when they are playing for money and playing for contracts yes it's going to be a factor and i think it's ill-advised of us as psychology professionals to neglect that and it's quite frank especially in like the international basketball market they only have one to two year contracts for americans so I think to some extent, yes, they are playing for money. It has to be a motivational factor. Like I have to play well so I can get a better contract. To mm-hmm. Like that exactly. quite mm-hmm. frankly is what it is. So I think understanding that still pushing kind of that agenda, it's like, okay, let, that's fine. We can use that as a factor. But through this identity that we're going to kind of explore and assess, 
we're going to create, even if it is kind of creating a new motivational factor under the money kind of side of it, I think that's kind of the the route that I would traditionally go with some clients. But I'm never going to be the one to be like, okay, yeah, but that's not enough. We need more. Like, mm-hmm. I be the one to tell you yep. that your motivations aren't enough. But I will also help you kind of use what you gave me and then kind of dive a little deeper into understanding more of your background, who you are, seeing what drives you and getting you to a point or guiding the athlete to a point of being, you know what, maybe it's not just money. Maybe it's money and X, Y, Z. That's what my goal is. But like I said, I'm never going to be the type to be like, money's not enough. We got to find you a new one. It's not my place to say and be your driving factor. Like, so I think it's a good point of understanding our clients and understanding where they come from, what circumstances they're up against to then kind of assess that and then help them create that long-term internal motivation or intrinsic motivation, same word or same definition, different word for the long run. No, I appreciate it. It's very wise and athlete-centered, human-centered in the response. No, it's really, really great. In the spirit of our work, our field, like helping whoever they might be, educators, executives, high performers, athletes, coaches, you know, we both strive to help them be better humans. In the spirit of that, how would you describe your other identities as a human right now at this time in your life? It's interesting because it's about to drastically change. So we'll start with currently. I mean, first and foremost, I'm an African-American male. I think a lot of what I do still kind of centers around that. Former athlete. Well, I'm a lifelong athlete, but former Mm. competitive athlete. Still in my mid-20s. People try to throw on the late 20s onto me right now, but I say 26 is still in the mid-20 bracket. (laughs) So we're in mid-20s. I mean, I'm a fiance in a a five-year-long relationship. And then in the next six weeks or so, my identity will be transitioning to that of a father, to a Mm. baby girl. Mm. So it's funny because I've talked to many of people who have had children or have children and are dads. And they're like, look, the moment you see her and hold her, literally your life is going to completely change. So I still haven't processed what that really means or what that feel is like. And I'm not going to until it happens. So like you're trying to plan for something that's not possible to plan for. But I'm excited for that transition. I'm excited to kind of reach that point. It's gone by like this last eight, nine months has gone by like a blur. But that's kind of just on like the personal side. I mean, then I think in a professional side, I mean, most importantly, being a, a mental performance consulting coach, however you want to title it, and a mentor. I think that's a big piece in which I utilize my work. You mentioned it earlier, how relationships are like everything. And it really is. Life's about who you know, not what you know. I'm mm-hmm. like a firm believer of that. To some extent, working with these clients, that mentorship piece really means a lot to me. Being able to build those relationships with my athletes. I want to be someone that, you know, you fully can trust and come to 
that we can help you be a part of your journey. But yeah, I would say those are kind of the areas that, I mean, I hold close, very, very close to my heart and identify with. And I mean, in a nutshell, kind of really summarize who I am as a person. No, thank you for sharing on the personal and professional tip. Again, we've known each other for a couple of years now and your personal identities have shifted and changed. You know, I'm so excited for you, Nia, to, to meet her. Like, I can't wait for you to tell me like what it feels like because there's no way you can imagine it now. It's unimaginable. It's like otherworldly. It's otherworldly. You're not going to even, yeah. So we'll wait, we'll wait for that moment. I'm looking forward to, <laughs> to that for you, for you and Nia and your daughter and your family. And I look forward to hearing about it from you because it's going to be inevitable too that how you approach your work with this new identity will also change. Yeah. Because you have a new perspective and a new lived experience that helps guide you to shape the human beings you get to work with, get the privilege and honor to work with, right? And so that's going to be exciting to see unfold as well. You mentioned a lot of identities. I know that you, alongside some colleagues this past October, presented at the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference. What was that panel about? What did you touch on? And any any gems you'd like to share with us from that experience? Uh, the panel, what, first and foremost, was an absolutely amazing experience. The panel was on men of color working in high-performance domains. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Rob Owens, Dr. Aaron Goodson, Dr. Adrian Ferreira, Ardrin Carr, and myself, all different backgrounds between sport and performance, clinical mental health, working within tactical settings in the military, college athletes, professional athletes. We had the opportunity to really just share what our experiences was like dealing with imposter syndrome, dealing with glass ceilings, mislabelings, all these different things that we experience as men of color in the field of psychology. And I think I'm pretty sure all of us were former athletes as well. Yeah, I'm almost 100% sure of all being former athletes, talking about our experience, getting to where we are. I mean, it was truly great because, uh, I mean, you look at five people who are on one panel under one roof at a certain conference, you would think that there's like so many similarities from this, but it's like there's so many differences. We come Mm -hmm. from backgrounds and diversity. Mm. And this is just five people in a room talking about their colors. I mean, their experiences. As men of color, we had yes. different five, five totally different perspectives and experiences. So a big piece that I spoke about was about that imposter syndrome side. And I even said it earlier, it wasn't until about a little under a year ago where I began really being able to advocate for myself, right? Like when you read that bio, like you did in the beginning, every time I hear it, I'm like, huh. Oh. You know, that is kind of a lot. Like, you are kind of doing some good things, all while still being in my second year of my doctorate and, like, all of that. And, and being 26, mind you. Being yeah, 26. For me, it feels like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm, and isn't that really, beautiful? So beautiful. I don't really see it as, like, my gosh, you're like, you're really great. Like, you're doing a lot of really great things. Like, you know, that's just kind of how I've been growing up. Growing up, there was this phrase, people would always tell me like, oh, Aaron, you you could really be anything you want to be if you like put your mind to it. 
And like hearing that a lot is just like, okay, if I have the ability to be anything, then I mean, I could just do whatever. And, you know, like it's nothing. Like it's an expectation or two kind of reach. It's like anytime I accomplish something, it's like, okay, I was supposed to do that. So I think understanding mm. that some of these accomplishments are major accomplishments and to be okay accomplishing something major and knowing mm-hmm. that, that can be an expectation. Mm-hmm celebrating that and rewarding yourself for that was a big problem of mine whether it was graduating with my master's with like all A's like to me it was just like okay I graduated like that's an accomplishment like that's a Mm -hmm. major accomplishment I think finishing my certification that was probably one of the first times where I was really like proud of something I did that one was huge hmm. for me. I think it was just timing of where I was in life. Hmm. I think it really kind of hit. But then again, it's kind of motivation as to why you're doing things, whether it's internal and external. Mine kind of surfaced from both of those. And it kind of goes to this panel. So this panel is in October. And we started planning it summer. So this is like June, July, maybe. I had my test scheduled around August. So I wanted to make sure I took it before asked. And when we were planning this, we had our PowerPoint slides and everyone kind of had their title pages. And then the four of them all had like their name, comma, and some other extra letters. (laughs) Some of them have too many letters after their names, but they all had something extra, whether it was just like LLPC or doctors and some other titles. Then there was my slide that just had my name and MA, like just my master's. So like, although everything that I've done in that bio that you had read was still all true, yeah. part of me didn't feel like I fit into this group because I didn't have extra letters added to my name. Mm. So that really drove me into studying and making sure I passed my certification simply that I can add four letters to my name on a PowerPoint slide for a panel. So when we think of imposter syndrome and fitting into a certain room, it's like you can totally discredit everything that you've done Mm -hmm. based on one little event. Mm -hmm. But whether or not I had those letters or not, I had to learn to appreciate that regardless of what's there, everything else that I did still is an accomplishment. Absolutely. Certification didn't validate everything that I just did. So being part of that panel in the planning process helped me to kind of reach that because we had multiple conversations about it, hearing these other professionals and people who look like me talk about these things. Yeah. And boost me up, giving me words of wisdom and advice to kind of help Mm -hmm. accomplish that. That was huge. And it's allowed me to be a lot more comfortable in rooms where I might not look like everybody or my name might not have the same amount of letters as everybody. But knowing that I'm comfortable with what I've done and where I'm at, Mm -hmm. and not trying to compare it to someone who's 10 years ahead of me in this field and has a whole bunch of years. Because 10 years from now, I don't know where I'm going to be, but just know it's going to be somewhere. I know that. Will you remember me still, Aaron? (laughs) Hey, I I don't forget people. (laughs) I keep my list of who helped me really get to where I got to, gave me opportunities, 
and really just kind of help, you know, mold me into who I am as a person, as a professional, everything. Give, like I said, giving me the opportunities to grow as a person and even grow as a professional, but more importantly, grow as a person. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I've told you this before in private and I'm saying this publicly here that like, yeah, whatever you want to do, you're doing it and there's more to come. There's so many exciting things that we're already setting the stage for that we have no idea and you'll be ready. You're yeah. ready now. You're ready now. And you have become a mentor of mine now to keep striving for my CMPC because you know my journey with it. It's the tests are just tough for me. And like, I'm so close, but yet so far. And so I'm just trying to stay true. But you being who you are and persevering and doing all that you do inspires me to continue on that road and not give up and create a new plan. Just always, you know, having that adversity, reassessing, creating a new plan and trying again. And so it will be a matter of time when I will join you in those ranks. But, you know, the fact that I have like, can see you and been with you through your process is just really, really extraordinary and awesome. Before we end today, I would love you to share what your why is. What is your why for the person that you continue to strive to be and to be for yourself, your family, your growing family? What keeps you in it? What is your why or whys? Because we can have more than one. I think a big one in terms of my work, I've said this since day one, is I always want to be the person I wish I had when I was in my playing career. Being able for someone outside, third party for someone to kind of have that relationship with, to kind of build long-term, give them the tools to help them succeed. I mean, with like no attachments to it. I think that's the biggest joy is seeing athletes perform well, come back, and they're like, Aaron, this worked. Like, I'm Mm. excited. So, I mean, my athletes genuinely, I can say, like, are part of my why. Like, I love working with every single one of my athletes Mm -hmm. because it's a different story, it's a different relationship. Mm It pushes me to expand my interest. Like, for example, I had a baseball player who was a big-time Phillies fan, and we worked together pretty much through the entire baseball season. I've never been more dialed into MLB baseball in my life. And I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't doing homework to be able to come into session with this 13, 14-year-old kid to talk baseball stats, right. talk about the Phillies, to talk about all these different numbers that I never would have paid attention to. But doing things like that and, and being able to see smiles on their faces based off of those type of things makes it a lot easier for me. And then I think, like always, I mean, a wise being able to put your family in a great position to succeed. I think in terms of like the personal life, like, Obviously, creating a life for my daughter to make it as easy as it can for her to her understand what love looks like from parents, from family, creating mm. a village around that. And obviously, as you said, year to year, that why has to get reassessed. It's going to change. It's in six weeks, they could be completely different. I can be like, <laughs> everything I just said out the picture. <laughs> But I think a lot of it still is always going to come down to that is, I mean, my athletes are 
they're everything for me. But again, being in a place to provide them with something that they're not going to be able to just get from anywhere, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, most importantly, I see myself in some of them, especially some of the concerns they deal with, but even some of the new ones. It, like I said, it gives me that chance to expand who I am to mm-hmm. serve them. And that that's what really what really drives me to continue day by day to kind of just go through long days, having eight, nine sessions in a day. Like mm-hmm. and I have to be at my peak because I'm well, what I do impact somebody else. So I think and it comes down to that, those are kind of what really drive me at this moment. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been more than a pleasure to hang out with you and talk to you and bring some of our conversations we've had to light for others to listen in on and learn from and hopefully get inspired by. So I really appreciate your time and all the work that we get to do together is like my honor as well. And like, just I'm one of your friends, you know that. So I, I can't wait to, you know, continue to follow your career, contribute to it any way I can, be mentored by you, whether passively or actively is like, it's just cool to like have you in my circle. And I appreciate you. Likewise, Lisa, it's like I said, I think officially you were the first one to hire me. And, you know, that's especially in the hometown where I'm from, being able to impact, you know, athletes where we are, where our backyard is. But most importantly, just kind of the relationship along the ways, checking in, simply calling me like, hey, how are you doing today? And really, you know, caring about who I am as a person, you know, it hasn't gone unnoticed. And it's so, so appreciative because in a world, that we live now, like that gets neglected so much. So I do appreciate that. I'm glad we were able to kind of do this to chat and hopefully anyone who listens to this or something that can either inspire them or they learn from this. So, yeah. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. We'll talk soon. Thank you again. Appreciate you. All righty. Talk to you soon. Athlete Mindset is part of the CASORS Podcast Network. At CastSource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CastSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CastSource Podcast Network. 